This is the Trip Doctor Podcast. I'm Evan Jordan. I'm a tourism professor at Arizona State University. I've studied tourism for the last 16 years of my life. If you're interested in learning more about me or the research that I do, head to the Start Here page on GoTripDoctor.com. This podcast is all about traveling intelligently. In each episode, I will interview a tourism researcher about their latest research. Just like medical research or physics research or any other type of research, there's a ton of good tourism research being done every day. The problem is, most of it doesn't make it into popular media. I've created this podcast to translate that information from technical terms to easy to understand language that will help you make informed decisions in your future travels. After the first three episodes of the podcast are released at launch, new episodes are going to be released every other Monday. If you decide you like the podcast, please share it with others who you think might like to be more intelligent travelers. You can also subscribe to the podcast, you can rate it and leave a review. If you want to learn more about being an intelligent traveler yourself, head over to GoTripDoctor.com where you can take my traveler personality quiz, learn more about the impacts of tourism, and see tips and tricks for booking your trips efficiently, inexpensively, intentionally, and intelligently. In our travels around the world, we're liable to encounter animals in a variety of ways. Sometimes they're the main attraction. Zoos and aquariums are built around featured animals for the public to consume. In other instances, animals like horses, camels, or mules are used as transportation to and from our primary destination. Yet still, sometimes animals are the centerpiece of culinary tourism experiences, with iconic dishes like foie gras, osobuco, and blue crab boils drawing tourists from across the globe. The thing about animals in tourism, however, is that nobody has asked them if they wanted to participate. My guest today is Dr. Carol Klein, an associate professor at Appalachian State University. She recently edited a book called Animals, Food, and Tourism, and is a co-founder of the website Fanimal.online, a membership site for animal lovers to laugh, learn, and make a difference. In this interview, we'll be discussing the ethical implications of involving animals in tourism, and what you can do to be a better consumer of animal-based tourism experiences, as in many cases, the experience for the animals involved can be extremely negative. A training method using the Pajan is when you literally divorce a baby elephant from its spirit. Um, so, you know, some of the things when we talk about animal uh, tourism, some of it's going to get kind of tough to hear. Uh, one thing that I always like to do is get to know the people I interview as travelers as well. So my first question is, uh, tell me about the best trip that you've ever had and what made it the best trip that you've ever had. Okay. Um, I'm going to stick with the theme of the podcast and um, pick an animal-related trip. And and I actually have maybe two my husband and I went to Reykjavik, Iceland, a few years ago, and we were not able to do a lot of research ahead of time, which is, you know, kind of a no-no. You want to you wanna look into the local culture, and you want to make sure you um, are behaving appropriately and, and doing the right things when you're a visitor. And so we weren't able to do that, um, but what what 
was so wonderful is we were walking around Reykjavik in our sort of jet lag state and we found the best vegetarian restaurant I think I have ever come across in my life. Now I'm a vegetarian, um, my husband is not necessarily a vegetarian although he eats that way a lot around me um, and and we, we just, I mean I just fell in love Evan with this restaurant. It was called Glow, G-L-O. And, um, and, and just, that was the highlight. It wasn't the highlight of the trip, but, but culinary speaking, it was, it was a highlight of the trip. And so, you know, now anytime anyone's going to Reykjavik, I always recommend you have to go to Glow. So you mentioned that when you're talking about traveling, that you said it was kind of a no-no to not do your, do your homework ahead of time. And that sort of reflects my travel philosophy, which is be as informed as possible, do your homework, do your research, learn as much as you can about your place. But on the other hand, sometimes it's the experiences that you have that you were unaware of something or you found something unexpectedly that makes for a great trip. So can you tell me, in your in your expert opinion, is there a balance to be found in that area? Yes, and and I don't think you know it's it's really coming from from me as a, a, a tourism professor, but um, just the human experience traveling. I think um, you you should be prepared. We share that philosophy, um, but it's those delightful surprises that sometimes um, really or what's burned into your, your memory in terms of what makes that trip um, something you reflect upon for years and years to come. And maybe it's not possible. I mean, you can do as much homework as, as you can and try and be as informed as possible. But of course, you're never going to know everything that could possibly happen on every single trip. And I think that's part of the travel experience, kind of like you said, that that's what makes travel and tourism great is because you do learn new, new things and it doesn't all happen before you go on your trip. So that brings us into animal related tourism, which is something that I think a lot of people are interested in. And I think it's becoming more and more popular in the tourism world. You have attractions that incorporate animals that they may be secondary to the attraction. They may be the primary attraction. If you think about things like safaris in Africa, things like zoos or uh, things like circuses, which have gotten a lot of bad press recently. So tell us a little bit more about what animal, how animals are related to tourism and how they're involved in tourism and what's going on in, in the, in that area in tourism today. Sure. Those are great examples that you provided. Um, I'll, I'll also throw in a category of sometimes the animal is conspicuously absent in the tourism experience, um, like my example of the vegetarian restaurant. So, you know, sometimes there are experiences that we can have in tourism that relate to animals in so much of the in so much that they were deliberately removed from the situation. So that's sort of a, a, a twist on thinking about animal related tourism. And do you think is that a recent trend where people are on purpose not involving animals in the tourism experience, whether it's food or otherwise? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, now, I'm going to give an example that I, I can probably not speak too much more than just offering it as an example, but circuses, as you mentioned, um, are now finding ways to do entertainment and activities and performances that 
put um, that are all humans. There, there are no animals, but sometimes there are the humans are dressed up as animals, um, or they're using really cool theatrical special effects to um, represent the animals, and it's no less entertaining. In fact, sometimes it you could argue that it's even it's it's even more impressive. So that actually, when you said people are are representing animals or performing as animals, that sort of a question popped into my mind of what about humans? Are are we also animals? And so I guess what is the difference between involving a human in a tourism experience in a performance and involving an animal in a tourism experience? Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're animals. And um, I'm absolutely speaking, um, you know, in layman's language because because non-human animals um, is such a mouthful. But that is that is absolutely what uh, many many people refer to as the the non-homo sapien types of animals, uh, non-human animals. In terms of the second part of your question of of the relationship between. I'll use the verb using animals and using humans in tourism related experience. I think there's going to be a lot of similarities, but I think some people would argue that that animals have less agency or voice or power uh, in a, a relationship where they might be involved in a tourism situation. And I'll give you an example, um, sort of jumping into some of the ethical issues uh, involved in animal tourism, there's there's a word called the pajan. So I'm referring to using the word pajan in terms of elephants. And so a training method using the pajan is when you literally divorce a baby elephant from its spirit. Um, so, you know, some of the things when we talk about animal uh, tourism, some of it's going to get kind of tough to hear. And, and this is one of those instances, the pajan, when an elephant undergoes uh, this process of the pajan of being divorced from its spirit or splitting the will of the baby elephant, um, it's done so that the elephant will basically stop fighting back. And um, these elephants are, are taken out of their own element and, and brought into captivity. They are... Um, what some some people might say, quote unquote, trained um, to do certain things or to allow certain things to happen, um, like you know participate in in elephant rides. Um, but but in order to get to that point where an elephant can do tricks or um, participate in elephant rides day after day, th- there's a lot of negative reinforcement and a lot of um, actual cruelty and, and torture that goes into that. So this is this is not something, of course, that the elephant would be okay with if it had not gone through that process. Is that correct? That's right. And so yes, that's I was using that as an example of of the elephant did not really have much power or agency in that in that case. Whereas there are a lot of humans in the world that don't have power or agency, but but I would argue that humans have, you know, more. So how is that how is that different? So for example, when that happens to say an elephant, how's that different from something like an animal that has been domesticated for a long time, like a dog? Um, a lot of people train their dogs with positive reinforcement, like you give them treats, 
when you want when they do something that you want them to do. Whereas with this example with the elephant, most of it is negative reinforcement. So are there any other differences that that happen in the process of this experience for the elephant as opposed to something like a, a dog? Yeah, sure. With that example, I, I guess I would say there's two differences that come to mind and, and there may be a lot more. Um, but first of all, the, the extremeness, the, um, the level of, of training, you, you pointed out the difference between positive and, and negative reinforcement. But, but honestly, I, I, without getting into the gruesome details, um, the, the training we're talking about during the Pajan, and I'm not going to even use that word training. What, what happens to the elephant during the Pajan is extremely cruel and, um, and, and torturous. So, so th that's a level, even looking at it from the, the negative standpoint, that I don't think we even go to on the positive end with a dog. So it's much more extreme. It's not, you know, a, a bop on the nose if it, they've done something inappropriate. It's, you know, torture, more like. Yeah, exactly. And and it's torture. And yes, it is. And and I'm just going to let your listeners um, look into that word uh, if they're interested in that process uh, a little bit more. But uh, the other the other difference is that um, economics are involved. So um, there's there's unless you, I guess, are training your dog to do something that will eventually, you know, your dog's going to go to a dog show and maybe there'd be some income from that. I think when we think about training our dogs, it's more um, so that we're all living harmoniously uh, under the same roof and, and, and that we're all sort of getting along and you're setting the rules. Um, but for the elephant who is participating in elephant rides, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of money at stake. And I wanted to actually have some stats to give you about that. Sure. Hit us with it. A story from the BBC noted that uh, captive elephants in Thailand, just in one, in one country, in Thailand, uh, gave rides to almost 13 million people uh, during the year 2016. It's estimated that elephant tourism can contribute $23,000 per elephant to the local economy. And that, that kind of, if you extrapolate that out, that could be more than 1.6 million over an elephant's lifetime. That's per year, 26,000 per year? 23,000 per year. Mm -hmm. And then over the lifetime, that would extrapolate out to 1.6 million. Wow. So this is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So that would be, there's, there's, there's a lot of incentive there to um, overlook something that one might not want to overlook uh, if money weren't involved. So you, this this is one el one ethical problem that we have with involving animals in tourism is the training of animals and the torture that some of them go through to provide the services that tourists are sometimes expecting. Uh, are there any other issues that travelers should be aware of aside from the the training or I? Like you said, not it's not even training; it's abuse that they right. go through to be a part of this to be a part of the system. What else? What else is out there that we should be looking for? Right. Oh, and and let me before I before I address that question, let me back up a little bit because I uh, definitely sort of went straight to the elephant talk, um, and and I think uh, we should talk about all of the different ways that animals are involved in tourism. You would, you would ask me to do that. And I just kind of glossed over that. Sure. 
You you mentioned um, how animals are a part of our uh, attractions and entertainment, and you mentioned circuses and zoos, SeaWorld, things like that. Um, another another way that animals are involved is during sport. So there's a lot of race, different types of racing, horse racing, greyhound racing. Um, we don't do this next one a lot in the United States, but camel racing, um, dog sledding. So that's that's a lot right there when you start thinking about all of those different races. Absolutely. Um, hunting and fishing, of course, is, is absolutely embedded within the tourism industry. People travel to do those activities. Um, pack animals, we were talking about elephants, but um, certainly burros, horses, llamas. Uh, thinking about the Grand Canyon, there are uh, a lot of pack animals that take people down into the Grand Canyon and, and back out. Um, and um, I think in, in other parts of the world, yaks are used as pack animals as well. Sanctuaries, there are some really great sanctuaries out there that are happy places for animals to live out the rest of their lives when something has happened to them earlier that wasn't so happy. And and those sanctuaries rely on some, some revenue streams from tourism to come in. Uh, their farm sanctuary and elephant sanctuary uh, would be two really good examples of, of sanctuaries. Um, you mentioned ecotourism and wildlife safaris. I would also like to throw out last chance tourism. So uh, when people are concerned about um, seeing the polar bear or a, or a caribou before the those animals habitat disappears and therefore the animal disappears, you know, we can call that last chance tourism and, and people will fly to go see those animals. Um, even though that burning the fossil fuel kind of contributes to the problem that's making it last chance tourism in the first place. It's sort of a catch 22 is yes, this is, you know, people want to go see them, but then going to see them is actually contributing to their demise, uh, sort of yeah. ironically, like you're saying. So, it's it's kind of a fascinating issue. Yeah, yeah, and think hard about whether you want to go or not. Um, you know, think hard about whether it's the choosing which type of trip you want to take. There's there's been some scholars who have said tourism in and of itself, if you are concerned about, well, let's say just the natural environment for now. Mm -hmm. If you're concerned about that, then traveling via jet is not an ethical way of traveling because you're contributing to the demise of the environment. And I agree with that. Um, you know, how practical is that for everyone to stop traveling? Uh, you know, not very. So so that's where there's a lot of conversation. The conversation continues about the, the ethical aspects of, of that more or less everyday activity now. Absolutely. So animal fighting is um, another form uh, of animal-based activities that happens in, in tourism. And mainly I'm talking about dog, dog fighting or cock fighting. Um, both of those things are outlawed within the United States, but there are many countries where they are not. You know, I'll, I'll throw out one more, um, which, which I, I really like this example, not because it's a happy example, but it's something that um, when I talk about this with my students, it's a real, oh, you know, moment that 
never really considered this. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been traveling, Evan, and there are people um, who just kind of come up to you on the street or they're there on the street and they might have, they might be dressed up in indigenous costume and they're there for the tourists to take pictures of them. And then the tourists would um, compensate them with, with a tip. And so, okay, that, that sounds okay. Um, but what if that, what if they have an animal? What if they have a sloth or um, some sort of animal that's indigenous to the country, but not necessarily that urban environment? And I think visitors are very attracted to cute animals and they want to go over and see them. And it's almost hard not to. And you want to, you know, animal selfies is actually a, a type of law that's becoming a specialty. Um, but but the, the ethical aspect of that is that sloth had to get there somehow. And when you trace the supply chain back, um, that sloth might have been taken away from its family. That, that sloth was probably forcibly removed from its environment and, you know, put in a bag and travel dozens or hundreds of miles away. And now it's just kind of hanging out with these people that don't really care about it. I mean, I guess, cause if that sloth, if something happened to slap that sloth, you could always get another one. So that's not a happy example, but I, I do like giving that example because it just is not something that you would think about every day, but yet that animal has been, uh, that animal's life has been influenced because of the potential that someone could make from a tourist. So that sounds like it's, it's another ethical issue, as you mentioned. So you talked about the abuse of um, elephants when they're being essentially broken for right. use in the tourism industry. You have people who are capturing animals from the wild and bringing them away from their families into non-natural environments. Those seem like two pretty big issues with animals yeah. and tourism. Are there any others we should be thinking about when we're looking at animals and tourism? There are. There are. Um, you know, one one I didn't mention at all, and this is a perfect segue, is eating animals. A lot of times when we go places to visit, there's an iconic dish uh, that, you know, you have to try. You just have to try this. And, um, you know, if I go to Vermont, I'm definitely going to want to have some, some maple syrup, right? Um, and, and so sometimes these iconic dishes or iconic foods are meat-based, protein-based, animal protein-based. And, um, and that brings up the, the question of um, the five freedoms and, and what the five freedoms are. About 50 or so years ago with the rise of industrial agriculture, people were noticing that some of the animals raised for food uh, really were having a miserable existence. And so they, they documented um, over the course of time ways that they felt that animals, and, the, and these are people in the agricultural industry, in animal husbandry, uh, people that, um, the, the five freedoms that animals who are raised for food should have, and I'm just gonna list them real briefly, but then sort of extrapolate this to, to other animals. Um, freedom from hunger and thirst. So if you're raising an animal for food, according to this five freedoms, uh, the animal should have access to fresh water and you know, diet to be healthy. Um, freedom from discomfort. And so that 
in regards to animals being uh, farmed for food, um, giving them an environment that, you know, has access to light or that they can move around uh, in, in a natural way. Freedom from pain, injury, or disease. Freedom to express normal behavior. Um, so one of the examples used in the poultry industry uh, often is that chickens like to roost. And so um, in industrialized agriculture, they are not always given that opportunity. And that may not sound like a big deal, but but if, if any of us are sort of denied from doing what we would naturally do, we sort of get a little bit uh, crazy, if that, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. That, that usually sometimes also has to do with the amount of space that they have. Um, I know I've gone to zoos before and I've seen polar bears that just sort of do repetitive movements um, because they're just not in a large enough space. And, and I, think, I think a lot of people who have been to zoos have had similar experiences. The, the last freedom is freedom from fear and distress. Um, and you would have this by ensuring condi conditions and treatment, um, which would avoid sort of a mental suffering. Now, I bringing, I'm bringing that up. It originally started with uh, thinking about animals that are raised for food, but it really could, these five freedoms could be considered in, in other animal contexts as well. Um, but, but um, also, in addition to animal welfare issues, which is what we've been talking about up until this point, there's also ethical issues in regards to how cultures can be distorted or exploited or exaggerated based around an animal. And I'm going to give you a couple examples that have to do with animals as food. Okay. Um, so if anyone's ever uh, traveled to Peru or maybe Ecuador, um, they might have experienced um, an offering of guinea pig on the menu. And if you travel to Monterey, Mexico, one of the tourist uh, marketing um, campaigns will be around eating cabrito, which is a baby goat. And so in both of these instances, cabrito and guinea pig, it's absolutely um, authentic that uh, local residents eat these animals. But because the tourist is traveling, because as tourists we travel and we want to embody and taste and experience with all of our senses the place that we're going to um the the use of the guinea pig and the use of the cabrito has been grossly exaggerated for tourists so you amp up the production um you amplify the importance in the the culture where they are very important but but for example in mexico cabrito is really used for very special occasions weddings very special birthdays but the tourist mantra now is if you it literally literally it says you haven't experienced monterey if you haven't tasted cabrito so it's almost it's almost a daring you to eat it you have to eat it when people come there they say wow this must be something that everybody eats here all the time because i haven't experienced it if i haven't done it Exactly. And you don't and you don't want to leave not having experienced the real Monterey by not having eaten Cabrito. So so it's an ethical issue because it exploits and exaggerates the culture. And, and you know, for again, for economic gain, um, animals can be iconic to a place 
and and that's great um, but when that that iconic nature is is warped then you know the tourist is being being shammed a little bit as well and so you lose maybe an, an element of authenticity in your experience that's right even though you're being presented the 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 line the that the spin that this is incredibly authentic your comment about uh, the the burning the fossil fuels and the and flying in planes and the ethical issues around that um, certainly there are a lot of environmental issues uh, around um, producing meat and when you ramp up the production of meat especially to meet a tourist population demand then then there again you're kind of trading off economics for environment and you know where what's the ethical issue there sure i mean i think if you talk to any economist or anybody who works in sustainability and ask them what's the number one most simple thing you can do to be a more sustainable person they would say probably stop eating meat right so that's a that's a whole list of really fascinating issues uh, related to involving animals in the the tourism industry, the tourism product, tourist, tourist consumption. So I want to move and talk about, are there any uh, destinations or organizations that are doing uh, awesome work in this area that people can refer to if they're thinking about traveling and are worried about the animals that are being involved in their travel experiences? And I want to start with an organization that you have recently started, and that is called Fanimal. So I'll let you tell the listeners all about it. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, Fanimal is a an organization. It's a it's a it's actually a membership website uh, for people who love animals, but they're just quite not quite sure what they can do on an everyday basis to help. Uh, animals have better lives. I think, you know, we can't turn on the news without seeing issues about wildlife trafficking um, or industrialized agriculture or research done on animals. And, you know, all of those things are seem very out of our reach on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so being an animal lover myself and, and wondering throughout my career what I could do to do more to help animals. Um, I realized, and I'm, I, I realized that there are a lot of people that I've met along the way who have that same inclination. So, Fanimal is the name of this organization because I'm a fan of animals, and um, I want to meet more fans of animals who can, um, together, we can collectively sort of move the needle on some of these issues. And I, I'm presenting a lot of information about animals, but, but you know, some of it's really fun and entertaining. And some of it has more to do with what you can just really small, easy actions that you can do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, to, to be a better animal hero or better animal advocate. And I'm... Um, I'm partnering with a lot of exciting organizations that are doing stuff with animals. So it's not just me uh, providing the content. It's these are really animal experts around the world who uh, work with animals on a day-to-day -day basis. What is the website people can go to? How can they find out more about Fanimal? It will be fanimal.co. So not com like you're used to seeing, but just C-O, fanimal.co. And I assume they can also find you places like Facebook as well. 
Absolutely. We've got a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account. Um, and we're on Twitter. Okay. So you mentioned you have some other tourism organizations that are doing good things uh, or other organizations that are doing good things related to animals in the tourism industry. Who are the game changers in this area? Yeah, there are a lot. There are really a lot of great people out there doing great work. And I've I've selected a few examples from a, a kind of an array of different experiences. And as you implied, not all of these organizations are in the tourism industry. Um, They may do something else as their focus, but they involve tourism as a way to achieve their end. So for example, two of my favorite conservation organizations is the African Wildlife Foundation and the Wildlife Conservation Society. African Wildlife Foundation and Wildlife Conservation Society. These organizations focus on wildlife They want the biodiversity of wildlife and habitat to thrive. And one of the great things about tourism is that it can provide a value to a resource that otherwise could be exploited. Um, So when you're thinking about animals, tourists like to come see animals and they want to see iconic animals, megafauna, things that are associated with a particular region. Well, if if the local population, if there are many different ways to use an animal, and we've, we've discussed some of those during this program, you may not be inclined to protect the animal um, because you could use it for food or you could um, use it for clothing or there's, um, you know, in, in the instance of whales, you can use it for oil and, and other things to make your life a, a lot better. Um, With tourism, it gives animals that inherent value that people want to come see them and learn about them just for the sake of them being interesting animals. So African Wildlife Foundation and Wildlife Conservation Society do a great job working with local communities and working with local conservation organizations to use tourism as a means to the conservation end by providing an economic incentive to keep the animals around and protect them. So what are, what other organizations are out there that we can that we can look into if we're interested in learning more? Sure. Um, well, I mentioned Elephant Sanctuary earlier in the program. They're in Tennessee. And then there's Farm Sanctuary, uh, which is located in New York. And I really like both of these organizations. They do a great job marketing. They do a great job um, with their outreach, their educational outreach, and their protecting animals um, who have had unfortunate lives up until the point where they reach the sanctuary. And, you know, I'm mentioning these two, but there's actually an American Sanctuary Association that people can check into. They can check out uh, sanctuaries before they go see them. Um, There was... A, a lot of press maybe a couple years ago about a tiger sanctuary in Thailand. And there was sort of an expose done about the tigers and how they weren't being treated well, but also some of the tigers were being bred in um, conditions that weren't very good so that their parts could be sold. And, and so I mentioned that because there's also a global federation of sanctuaries. Um, so, so that way, if you, if you look at these 
associations that are accrediting sanctuaries and sort of giving their stamp of approval on these sanctuaries that are, are operating with within some very rigorous standards, um, then you can be really happy about where you're spending your money and, and where you're choosing to spend your time um, while you're traveling. That sounds like it is a great recommendation for people if they are interested in uh, still taking part in animal-related tourism, but doing it in an ethical way and ways that are going to be sustainable, not only for the animals, but also for the communities in which they are. Um, do you have any other recommendations for if people want to be uh, uh, an intelligent or an ethical or sustainable traveler in relation to animals in tourism? What are the other things that they can do? Um, well, tour operators, for example, uh, are especially when you're traveling internationally. Sometimes we want to em employ a tour operator, a tour group, a tour company to help us with our arrangements. Um, that helps not only logistically, but they have the inside scoop on the destination. Um, and so I would recommend that people really look hard into their tour operators, either on their website, again, looking at maybe organizations that do accreditation for tour operators, um, and, or even, you know, I, I, travel agent isn't quite the, the right word, but, but, but agencies that make arrangements for animal-based travel. And I've recently come to know Animal Experience International, and I think they are a fantastic group. Um, so I would just maybe say the listeners could do their homework, look into where tour operators and uh, organizations are, well, look, look into them and see what sort of standards and values that they uh, advertise on their websites. Awesome. Well, you have provided a ton of great information about animal-related tourism, about the ethical implications, about some organizations and some things that people can do if they're looking into animal-related tourism experiences. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, and it's been wonderful talking to you. Oh, thank you, Evan. I, anytime I can talk about animals, I'm very happy. 